0: Welcome back to That's Ancient History. Words I have not said now in a fair few weeks since season one ended, but I am incredibly pleased to welcome you all back, or perhaps here for the first time, to listen to the second season of The podcast. This is episode one of season two, if you're not already aware, and it's a very exciting episode. In this episode, I had the privilege uh, of interviewing author Pat Barker about her most recent release, The Silence of the Girls, which you may be able to guess is inspired in some way by antiquity. So if you're not familiar with Pat Barker, she is an author with a plethora of work behind her of amazing quality and some of her most famous books include the Regeneration Trilogy, which explores the after effects of World War I and the trauma experienced by those who survived the war. This kind of mental trauma is one of Pat Barker's fortes when it comes to writing and it's something that she brings to light in her exploration of antiquity as well. The Silence of the Girls is a retelling of Homer's Iliad which follows events of the Trojan War, a legendary war between the Greeks and the Trojans, supposedly instigated by the Trojan Prince Paris's abduction of Menelaus's wife, Helen, from Greece. The Iliad itself focuses on the experience of the Greek hero Achilles in a real time of emotional turbulence for him during the war in a, in a moment of real do or don't. Pat Barker, however, puts a unique spin on this retelling in a way I have never read before. Instead of focusing simply on Achilles or one of the other Greek soldiers, she focuses on Bryces, who is a Trojan queen whose city is destroyed during the Trojan War by Achilles and his men, and her and the rest of the women of her city are then enslaved by the Greek soldiers and made to serve as slaves both domestically and sexually to their captors, the men that killed their friends and family and destroyed their homes. Pat Barker's Barker's emotional retelling of this ancient tale highlights the emotional, physical and mental impact of war on women and forces us to remember that these brutal conditions not only affect men but also women. I personally adored this novel if you haven't already guessed. (laughs) The characters and story both kept me engaged as a reader but also made me reconsider antiquity and think about the areas of ancient trauma and ancient war that are perhaps overlooked in scholarship and reminded me how vital works like Pat Barker's are to make us think more broadly about antiquity. But I am sure I have chewed your ear off enough for now, I am incredibly pleased to be back with the second season and without further ado, let's hear from the author herself. First, thanking you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's very exciting to have you.
1: Well, it's been very enjoyable so far. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Again, the, pre- the pre-empt has sort of been a good build-up. I hope it keeps going. Um, um, well, yeah, you've already I, 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 we've already had a fascinating past, like, two minutes yeah, yes. uh, discussing uh. classics, but... Specifically on the topic of the book, I think the first thing that comes to mind when I was reading the book and that I was interested in, when I first heard about the book, um, obviously I thought, oh, uh, the Iliad, the Trojan War. there's so many women involved in this story. And then it was interesting to see that you'd picked Bryces as your central character. Yeah. And I was really interested to know what it was about Bryces that you were drawn to as a protagonist.
1: I think mainly that the extreme trajectory that her, her story follows, mm-hmm. that literally she wakes up as a queen. And by the end of that day, she has lost all her family, had her palace, her home, burnt down. And uh, she is in bed with the man who killed her uh, youngest brother, of whom she was particularly fond. And she has no choice in the matter. It's impossible to have a, a change in fortune more extreme than happens to her.
0: Yeah, it, 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 it
1: really is. Um, and, and, that, and that makes you ask, you know, you know, when things happen as extreme as that, it really puts that person with their back against the wall uh-huh. and that's when they show what they're actually made of. Yeah. You know, what is it about this girl who is event- in, in initially so shocked that she just stares into space? It is post-traumatic yeah, stress of disorder. Course. She's staring into space, doing nothing. And how does she recover? Which is a theme in all my work, of course. Yeah, yeah. How, how do people come back? from these extreme events.
0: It's really interesting that you mentioned PTSD actually because a few episodes ago um, on the podcast we did an episode on uh, combat trauma in ancient Greece with um, somebody who's currently researching that area and his research was very focused on the soldiers' experience but obviously your book kind of reminds us about the experience of the women that were around. I mean, there was lots of women too being affected by these war zones and that's as important in and it's yes, sort of overlooked
1: yes. and uh, uh, i went to uh, an event in edinburgh with the theater of war people you know yeah. who uh, use the, pl- the, uh, the play Use the character of Ajax mm. and his, you know, the mm. various appearances as an example of post-traumatic stress disorder, because he eventually, as you know, goes mad and yeah. uh, uh, attacks animals, believing they're his fellow commanders. And uh, I was listening to all this, and it was absolutely fascinating. They were obviously doing very, very good work, but I found myself thinking, what about messer Yes, uh, uh, who was about 14 or 15 years old when her family were killed. And and the town burnt down and she became Ajax's mm. mistress. Uh, wasn't she suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder? Well, of course she yeah. bloody well was. <laughs> <laughs> and and she... it's not allowed to happen to the women.
0: No, and surely they don't even have that sort of... Um... Uh, the approval of society in their situation, whereas, like, the men are at least sort of doing something that society expects them to do. To do, do, yes,
1: and and paying, you know, a considerable psychological as well as physical price. But but I think that that psychological price, uh, through the agency of Greek drama, was actually recognised by their community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it hasn't always been in in modern-day society.
0: No, and one of the... As soon as I heard the sort of premise of your book I instantly thought of The Trojan Women by Euripides which is one of my favourite Greek uh, tragedies and I was also curious about if there were any ancient works in particular that you kind of referred to for inspiration for this book
1: I no, I just read and reread the yep. Iliad. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I went round museums because one of the things that comes across very forcefully is that they've all got this enormous respect for craftsmanship mm. in all its forms. And also, of course, for easily transported wealth. Because, you know, basically they're looters. Mm-hmm. You know, Achilles is, yep. is, 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 a, is a pirate. I love that. <laughs> he, he, he attacks by sea, he carries everything off. Yeah. And it's it's gold jewellery and precious armour and, you know, a few pieces of furniture which are particularly beautiful. But it certainly isn't palaces or anything like that. No. Because they're just not transportable. Yeah, it's not really about land, is it? No, it's not about land. land. Uh, no, they don't actually occupy yeah, any of the land it? they conquer
0: yeah troy just kind of gets left behind doesn't just, it yeah,
1: with all <laughs> the other cities yeah. i mean we're told that achilles sacked 20 cities and there they are on this uh, beach mm. around a bay, uh, crammed in fifty thousand men camping for ten years on a beach. Can you imagine it? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and and they don't use the land that they conquer.
0: It is actually fascinating, and that, this is one of the things that I really appreciate about kind of uh, modern day authors retelling ancient stories. Is it can it can give you a new perspective and make you think about antiquity. In a, in a way that perhaps just simply going down the academic route can, it can kind of open it up for you. Yes, yeah. And well. I even, I always, I do a little bit of teaching and I always try to push modern retellings on my students because I yes. think they kind of open up their eyes a little bit. Yes, yeah.
1: And it, uh, it does make you think about the original text. Mm. Um, for example, Christopher Logue, Logue's marvellous verse retelling of the Iliad, mm. uh, War Music, Yes, one of the. His contemporary war was the Vietnam War, mm. so he's, he's referencing that and he's deliberately introducing anachronisms, which is what I do too. But one of his anachronisms is that he has a chopper waiting in, in, in the sand dunes for Agamemnon. Well, you know, you, you can't have uh, a siege war in which helicopters are available. <laughs> I mean, if Priam's got a helicopter in Troy, what's his problem, Yeah, really? <laughs> he's out of there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Hmm. yeah, no, it is. It's really fascinating. Actually, I obviously, you have a background in writing about the effects of war in different time periods, and I'd be interested to know... Uh, how writing about twentieth century kind of warfare and its effects compared to writing about an ancient warfare and yeah, its effects.
1: Yes. Uh, I I think the, the damage done I think the damage done by war, and I was very interested to hear about that research about PTSD mm. in the ancient world, because it definitely did exist. Absolutely uh, and uh, Jonathan Shane in Achilles in Vietnam yeah. of course uses Achilles as an example yeah, we talked of, about of about. the destruction of character which is produced by extreme Shock, and especially by going into this berserk state mm-hmm. in which you, you know, you, you were just not in a normal yeah. frame of mind. Um, it, it was very, as I delved into it, there were more and more echoes of the mm. First World War. Of course, I'm particularly sensitive <laughs> to them, I know that. But if you think about the Trojan Plain, uh, bisected mm. by these two great rivers, mm. uh well, at the time you've churned it all up, what you've got is mud. Yeah, everywhere as far as the eye can see, they are fighting over a stretch of muddy ground, mm. and then along comes Agamemnon and digs a trench. Yeah. I couldn't believe, my... <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it was happening. Uh, it was such a gift.
0: Yeah, it's such a like interesting comparison to to draw. Actually, it's, it's yeah. so easy to see these things as so distant from one another. That was so many millennia ago. Now, yes. but you really kind of made it relevant to not just now, but a hundred years ago. Sort of showed yes. the themes that continue throughout time that are very relevant to humans. Yeah,
1: and just as I've and just as uh, log embeds uh, references to the Vietnam War all the way through mm. war music, I've deliberately embedded you know, references to, well, First World War in my case, of course. Uh, You know, there are actually embedded quotes from the war poets as well. And there's, you know, there's quite a lot of evidence that Wilfred Owen, for example, when he was... uh, Mm. uh writing strange meeting when a strange friend here is no cause to mourn uh that he'd just recently read the Iliad oh, wow. and I think uh, Achilles and you know saying you know so die friend mm. you know Patroclus is dead he was a better man than you very moving
0: yes yeah. <laughs> I'm I have to say one of the other things that I was kind of concerned about and really reminded me of when I was reading the book was how romanticised the relationship between Achilles and Bryces is in a lot of other kind of pop culture Oh yes, and the and one
1: thing I was absolutely determined, hmm. she was not going to fall for Achilles. Yes. I don't care how beautiful he was. Yes.
0: <laughs> oh, but I loved that bit. It sort of, it, it was really just a a reminder to something that you can often forget is that she was a slave and regardless of how romanticized it can be even in an ancient text this was not an equal relationship no
1: and he killed her family exactly he (laughs) he killed her family quite recently and there's no i just don't believe i think i can see that a very very young girl Mm. this 14 year old might uh you know, suffer from a version of Stockholm Syndrome, Mm. because that's what it is. And anybody who was kind to her after all that had happened Mm -hmm. in her immediate past, she would latch on to. What else are you going to do when you're 14, you know?
0: Yeah, of course, yeah. but not not quite as romantic as uh, Troy with Brad Pitt. <laughs> uh, no,
1: no, no. Uh, oh, abso- absolutely not, yes.
0: That was one of my favourite things about it, though. I was so glad that it sort of shone, shone a light on Yeah, And, on he, uh,
1: and their relationship does deepen mm. without, without ever becoming a romantic relationship. Mm. Uh, it deepens, but it deepens, really, because they both love Patroclus, mm. which, uh, and to me, uh, in, I, I have heard people say that Patroclus is just a pl- plot device. Mm. He's just the reason Achilles loses his temper and goes off and sulks. Uh, well he isn't actually the girls for that reason. He's the reason uh, Achilles goes back into the war. Uh, and I think he's not a plot device. I think he's the actual absolute moral center mm. of the Iliad. and thank God for him because mm. there's nobody else there who was even halfway decent.
0: Yeah, no, it's very true. It was interesting as well when you decided to sort of um, shift from the sole perspective of Bryces and give us a little bit of insight into Patroclus and Achilles' mindsets. So I wondered if that was a little bit more difficult going into the mindset of someone like Achilles when you'd been so deep into the emotions of how he was affecting uh, it, it was,
1: a, it was It was a hell of a switch. And I think one of the things you notice is uh how little he really uh is not preoccupied mm. with with her at all really um uh, and and the emotional uh, involvement that he does seem to have with her mainly cause she resembles his mother uh is something he brushes aside. Mm. You know, It's not the girl, it's the insult to his honour yeah. that, that he is concerned about, and so he tells himself. But you're left thinking, well, perhaps it is just a little bit the girl.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, on the topic of Achilles' mother, actually, who is this goddess, but we don't really meet or see her we just hear about her in the background and that was something else i noticed was that there's sort of although there's reference to mythological events involving yes. the gods you, you do steer clear of actually involving the gods in the narrative and i wondered uh, what was it that made you make that decision
1: uh, well the gods are you know, are almost played as light relief a lot <laughs> of the time and uh, they come across as you know quite petulant and chi- childish mm. Uh, I think I think the characterisation of the gods really is a very strong argument for death, mm. because the mere fact that they're immortal uh, means that uh, nothing really matters yeah. all that much, you know. Yeah. Whereas, as Brad Pitt says, <laughs> no less a classicist than Brad Pitt says, uh, <laughs> the gods envy us because things matter to us mm. in a way that they never matter to them. Yeah. So, but I'm I'm also quite a rationalistic mm. type of your author so although I do have po- Apollo in the minds of the character Apollo sends the plague I also make it perfectly clear that the whole place is full of rotting food and rats and fleas and it's exact and overcrowding yes and it's exactly the conditions in which you would get an outbreak yeah. of plague
0: makes it very relatable uh, I, I was wondering actually uh, uh, if when you were writing the book at all you sort of took into consideration can of more modern discussions of um, women in war zones and uh, sort of sexual assault in war zones when you were writing it.
1: Uh, we, we, well, yeah, I, I've just been aware of that, mm. you know, you know a, a, as it's developed. Uh, the, the Yazidi women, of course, are uh, um, being captured and sold as sl- sex slaves by ISIS. Mm. Um, but it's, it's not all out there. You look at the predicament of women who are in... Uh, Modern westernized societies either because they've been trafficked mm. uh, to work as sex slaves or be- simply because they're illegal immigrants and can't work in proper jobs. Uh, and they, they, you know, very often they're sleeping on somebody's sofa or somebody's floor. They're very vulnerable to sexual assault and they cannot, dare not go to the police. And those, those women are in a situation very little different from slavery.
0: Yeah. It's very true. Um,
1: so it's not all back then, and it's not all out there. Yeah, some of it is here and now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. Uh, definitely. Um, is that something you were sort of hoping to do with the novel, not only sort of revisit antiquity but make people reflect on the world they live in today? Just in Oh a... yes,
1: the whole point about doing myth rather than history is no, history is just, it is the past mm. though it's mixed in with myth a lot of the time ta- <laughs> but it is nevertheless the past whereas the whole point about myth is that it's then and now yeah, and it's equally now
0: Yeah, no I love that I love that way about thinking about myth and I always think of myths as sort of stories that the the ancients retold in various ways for themselves so like yeah. why shouldn't shouldn't we do the same sort of Oh
1: yes yes and, you know and, and some of these myths were old when mm. the Iliad reached its final form yeah, that's about 500 true. years old probably
0: Yeah <coughs> and I have to ask as well just as somebody who loves classics um, and is always interested to know how other people kind of first discovered their interest in classics was it the Iliad that sort of first sparked your enthusiasm for the subject or was it something else
1: Oh, I, 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 it's it's difficult to know it. The, the enthusiasm for the Iliad itself um, uh, goes back, I think, about twelve years. As a mm. reference in one of my books, yeah. which I'd forgotten, <laughs> <laughs> but you know somebody pointed it out. But I, I'd always been sort of slightly put off. Uh, reading actually sitting down and reading the Iliad simply because of the extent of the battle scenes mm. and the and the extent of the violence in the battle scenes and in, when you actually read them of course what you actually comes across is uh, Homer's compassion mm. uh, you know he it, there aren't these in, lists of intolerably nameless names, as you know Siegfried Sassoon said about the <laughs> men in gate uh, every every man is named before mm. he dies, and n- nearly always Homer tells you a little bit of something mm. uh, about him, mm. so the worth of that human life mm. is acknowledged even at the point it's being lost mm. and i don 't think a lot of people who haven 't read the Iliad quite realise that Homer is like that mm. it's a very humane compassionate mind mm. behind some of these scenes and I, I do think it is one mind too yeah. I, I know, <laughs> I know there were, he was using masses and masses of legends uh, which had gone on for generations from one singer to another uh, but I do think the, the final version has the imprint of, a hum, of of a single human mind on it
0: Mm. Was this something that you'd sort of thought for a long time you'd like to do, sort of retell this story?
1: Um, No, but it was obviously there. Otherwise (laughs) there wouldn't be a a reference to it in in life class. Yeah. it's i think that's what happens very often that the best ideas for novels are not the ones that jump up and mm-hmm. say look at me <laughs> and i'm a wonderful story it's something that has been sort of bubbling away quietly in the background yeah. for quite a long time and then suddenly it announces it as, itself as you know the next book
0: oh, wonderful would you do you think i mean perhaps this is a little bit preemptive would you consider it sort of exploring antiquity again in literature
1: uh, I think I think I might, yes, hmm. yes. Uh, of course, in the middle of a launch, you don't really want to <laughs> no. be thinking about the next book. Cause, Worst uh, question. You, you're, 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 you're ma- no, your ma- mind isn't just sufficiently yeah. clear. But I think I might want to go on okay. exploring. I mean, there are so many oh, yeah. great stories. Yeah. And it
0: covers such... I mean, you can sometimes think of antiquity as quite a small time period, but it's really not. It's, it's thousands of years. Yes, There's a yes, lot there. Yes, yeah. Yes. We'll get into it. Well, I will definitely. if if you do, I'll definitely be reading it. that's promise what I always like to ask my guests as well um on the podcast is if they have any recommendations of books for people listening. Obviously I myself would highly recommend that everybody goes and reads Silence of the Girls because it's a wonderful <laughs> novel. Um but I would be interested to know if you had any books that you would recommend, whether they be modern retellings of myths or ancient stories or non-fiction books that you just you read and feel passionately
1: about? I I think I would recommend Camilla Mm. Shampsey's book uh, Home Fire which is uh, a retelling of the legend of Antigone but with two modern sisters and a brother uh, in in the world really of Islamic extremism Mm. and terrorism and that that is a brilliant book.
0: Mm, yeah, and I I heard amazing things about that, and it does always make me think. Um, it's a, it's a, it's so interesting when an author decides either to set their story in modern day or keep it in antiquity. Was was there a reason you chose to keep it in antiquity when you retold Bryce's story? I,
1: I, I didn't really occur to me to do anything mm. else. It is. It's, it it would be very interesting to trace the history of classical. Retellings. Mm. I'm thinking in particular, you see, of uh, the play of Antigone, which was played in occupied Paris. Yes. uh, In front of an audience which contained, you know. Contain German generals, yeah. and and it, 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 you know, the message to us is so obviously revolutionary, yeah. and yet they they, they they got away with it because it was ostensibly this very important classic.
0: Yeah, and Antigone yeah. would be a fascinating one to chase, actually. And I think um, what have I read? I think Liz Lockhead has a, a version of Antigone as well, or at least the Thebans, which yes. includes Antigone and Oedipus. So there's probably a lot there if you wanted to write about the history yes, of Antigone. Yeah,
1: kind of being and. Uh, I, I can never remember the name of the poem, but there's a poem that uses Priam's visit um, to Achilles, uh, that sort of, not really reconciliation, but at least there is a meeting of mm. minds to some extent, uh, uh, in the context of the Irish Troubles, you see. Yes. And then Colm Toy Bean, House of Names, lots of references. Mm and uh to the irish uh troubles and also last night i was on with uh uh, doing an event with uh, michael hughes who was retold the iliad in in the modern day uh you know quite different approach to me but equally drawing Mm. on the iliad uh, in the 1990s in ireland and that that is you know it's just darkling read
0: no it's wonderful to see these stories um being given sort of like a new lease of life and um exposure to new audiences i like to hope as well yes um but i it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you it's been absolutely fascinating you've put like a whole new layer of information on top of the novel for me that always makes me want to go back and reread it with these like bonus tidbits (laughs) (laughs) i feel now as well i appreciate all the more this that portion where um Briseis discusses the death of the soldiers and lists them with a little bit of detail, and I realise how yeah, much you've
1: drawn on the Iliad there. Oh yes, yes, I, I'm I'm doing deliberately what Homer yeah. what Homer did, but because I'm writing from Briseis's point of view, uh, I'm doing it uh, her, from her talking to the Trojan women, mm. uh, for, you know, at intervals for the rest of her life, and, and these women, of course, their sons died defending Troy, and as women do. They go back and they talk about their sons, mm-hmm. not as they were at the time they died, yeah. but when they were babies. Who was late walking? Who was late talking? Who was a twin? Whose labor went on for days <laughs> and days? This is the way women talk about their children yeah. as they get on in life. Before and it's) soldiers. Uh, And it's uh, hope gives you a sense that each of these lives that were lost on the Trojan Plain were deeply valuable and hard won Mm. in terms of women's pain and hard work.
0: Absolutely. And it was um, nice to sort of be reminded about the fact that these soldiers were sort of fighting one another again because of Generals' yes, uh, yeah. a desire for glory and yeah. greed, and they were all just sort of young men pitted against one another.
1: Yeah, and I'm trying su- too to subvert this legend that it was all about helen's beauty mm. and i point out that helen had a dowry yeah. <laughs> a very very rich dowry and they want to get their hands on that as yeah. well
0: <laughs> no it was absolutely wonderful so thank you so much for writing such a wonderful book and thank you so much for talking to me about it today I
1: thoroughly enjoyed oh, it thank good. you,
0: <laughs> thank you.